0: Who's the man? We will find this out this morning in Romans chapter 4 and verses 13 through verse 25. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon us this morning. May we be encouraged by your people and what you've done through them in the history of your covenant people. Bless us to hear the word and to preach it accurately and to hear it accurately that we might all be doers of your word for we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. A popular song in Sunday school generations ago was Father Abraham has many sons. And it was a commonly understood concept in the church that Abraham was our father in the faith. But today, many Christians are confused about the deity of Christ, let alone an Old Testament patriarch. The patriarch of patriarchs, Abraham, and the powerful and central significance of the Abrahamic covenant. This morning, in Romans chapter four, we'll see that Abraham's the man. Abraham's the man. And as we look at this, we'll see Abraham has many sons, and Abraham has one Lord. So first of all, we're going to see that Abraham has many sons. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Romans chapter four, beginning in verse 13. Romans chapter four beginning in verse 13. And there we read, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. Now to remind you of what we've been covering over the last several weeks is the idea of who Abraham actually is and his placement in its historical context. Now, when you take his relationship to the law and his interconnection with Israel as a nation, we've got to remember that God promised these things to Abraham 500 years before Moses and the law. He would say to Abraham that he was going to make him a great and numerous people, that he was going to give him a land, but this was centuries before the nation of Israel was even beginning to form before they they took on the markers of the law which had not been delivered yet? Is this about Israel as a land in the Middle East and a Jewish people as a perpetual state? And the answer is emphatically no. Abraham was to inherit the world. And if that's true, he has many, many sons. Not through the law, but by faith. Going on to verse 15. For the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. The main point of the law was to show sin, was to call, cause the one who is obeying the law that they would see that they are insufficient in themselves. The Ten Commandments would show human inability. And anybody who looks at them knows that we break them all the time. All the laws that were laid out for the people of God as this unique cultist also led one to the conclusion that they were sinners and showed sin. The sacrifices showed human sin that needed to be covered In Israel, at the bare least, there was always the morning and evening sacrifice. The smoke of these sacrifices arising perpetually that the people of God would be reminded that they were sinners who needed to have their sins covered, in addition to this, the failure of the human institutions that were set out in Torah. The temple building itself, the priesthood, and the kingship, all on the best terms show God must come and set things right. If you look at the laws regarding the priest, what do you see? You see that he has to be a peculiar and magnificent human physical specimen. He has to come from a particular lineage. He can have no defects whatsoever as far as it goes in the fallen human race. And so it was like the peak of the human race, this one man called out in a specific peculiar way, One man from a specific, peculiar lineage became the high priest, one in the entire world, and yet he was a sinner. And on the best of terms, things always went wrong, and these institutions always failed, and they pointed to the fact that God must come and set things right. The Gentiles need a space where new Jewish law to come in faith on equal terms with the Jew. That space is faith in God apart from the law, just like Father Abraham. N.T. Wright writes, The privilege of geography as of birth counts for nothing in the new world ruled over by the crucified and risen Messiah. Going on to verse 17, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Now it's interesting here, that at this very point in this text that's being drawn upon by St. Paul, there was a name change. You may remember that Abraham's original name was Abram or Abram, Ab means father. Abram means exalted father. But his name was changed to Abraham or Abraham, father of a multitude. And when did this happen? It happened in the context of the unpacking of the Abrahamic covenant. And it came in stages. When Abraham was Abram and he was living in Haran, God came to him and told him, Go to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a numerous people, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. And so he went. And it's 20 years later in Genesis chapter 15. He's in the land now for 20 years and he still hasn't gotten the son of promise that will bring forth this great multitude. And it's in that context God comes again and ratifies the covenant. He comes and repeats his promise. I will be with you. I will give you a land. I will make you a great and numerous people. And then God cuts the covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15. You may remember They took halves of animals. Abraham did. He set them out. And then he's waiting on God. And God causes him to fall into a sleep of pitch blackness. And in the midst of that comes a flaming pot. And the flaming pot flies down the middle of these animals and comes back. For you see, in the ancient world, the two parties that were carrying out this covenantal agreement would have walked down the middle of them and come back. But Abraham stays and watches. As God, represented by the flaming pot, goes down the middle and comes back. Why? Because God's perfect and Abraham's imperfect because God is making a covenant on behalf of Abraham with himself. And then in the midst of that, Abraham now is circumcised. He is given the sign and seal, the visible sign of the covenant people of God, he and his household, and with that comes a name change. So his name is no longer Abram, exalted father, but Abraham, father of a multitude for the old covenant sacrament of marking out the people of God. And you see, friends, it's the same today. I want you to be reminded of this. Every time you see a baptism, for a name change is occurring. The pastor will normally ask, what is your name? Or what is the name of this child? And then the pastor says, John Smith, I baptize you into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And your name is transformed forever forever. You're taken down in the roles of the people of God. And that common name is transformed in the name of the Trinitarian God. So we have this here. And then when we get to chapter 17, the name change comes. We've got circumcision here. We've got the ratification of the Abrahamic covenant. And what we have is a brown skinned man from Mesopotamia in modern Iraq who has many sons and daughters. From the Jews, from the Greeks, from the Romans, from the Egyptians, from the Northern Europeans, from the Central Asians, from the Sub-Saharan Africans, from the East and Southeast Asians and the Native Americans. Father Abraham has many sons. Because what we see back in Genesis chapter 17 and verse 5. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I've made you a father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout all their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you and these promises are going to the world because Abraham has many sons. Can I hear an amen to that? Ismail Ibn Sharif was quite the chap. The Sultan of Morocco, he is credited with being the father of the most sons ever recorded. Sharif had 500 wives and concubines who gave him 525 boys and 342 girls, a total of 867 sons and daughters. But this will all be eclipsed on the last day, when the records of this age will be made complete and the vast multitude of the sons and daughters of father Abraham will be fully accounted for. So we've seen that Abraham has many sons. And now we're going to see that Abraham has one Lord. Abraham has one Lord. Continuing here in Romans chapter 4, going on to verse 18. In hope, he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations. And as he's been told, so your offspring shall be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Abraham trusted the word of the Lord, that he and Sarah would have many sons and that many nations would come forth from him, though he was very old. And Sarah was so old, she was already barren in past childbearing years so old she was menopausal or past it, and yet Abraham believed the Lord would fulfill his promise. So here you got Sarah, barren. No way she's going to have a son. And she joins all these other women, this, this long line of women in impossible circumstances that can't have a son, and yet they do, Miraculously. All pointing forward to the greatest of miracles, and that is the incarnation when the Virgin Mary will give birth to the Messiah. The son who would be born to Sarah would have to be a miracle child. Going on to verse 20. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Now, friends, notice the paradox that we see here, the seeming paradox of Abraham's faith. The longer he waited, the more trials he went through, the more he believed. Doesn't that seem counterintuitive? He's waiting on God, but God seems to be tarrying forever. Is God ever going to come and bring this promise about? Trials and circumstances are happening to him. You would think that his faith would waver, but Abraham's faith grew and grew. Why is that? Because Abraham grew in maturity in his relationship with the covenant-making and covenant-keeping Lord and God. And friends, I want to say this. We should be like that. We should be like that. We have the Holy Spirit of God poured out on the body of Christ since the day of Pentecost, and he's remained with us ever since. The word of God says the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in our hearts. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. The longer trials go on, the more you wait upon the Lord, the more your faith should grow like Abraham because you know the Lord of heaven and earth and he will fulfill what he says. Are you worried about tomorrow? What kind of world your kids and grandkids will live in? Will the mob win the day and plunge our country into godless chaos? Will our economy collapse after endless money money printing? Be like Abraham who grew strong in faith, knowing the Lord. And how do you know the Lord, friends? How do you know the Lord? Kids, how do you know the Lord? You read this. You read this and you know it. You study it. You read it for pleasure. You meditate upon it. You chew upon the word of God. And what is the word of God? It's God's words to his people. God sometimes speaking directly to his people in the word of God. But oftentimes it's the accounts of the people of God, the narratives of true historic incidents where the people of God were waiting upon the Lord and God was faithful. Imagine people living in a time like ours, a dark time, but much darker than ours. Imagine that you live in the kingdom of Judah, now reduced down to two tribes, Benjamin and Judah, the great kingdom of David and Solomon down to this this little state that's wrapped around the city of Jerusalem and you're a faithful covenant keeping person of God and you're watching your nation fall off the cliff you're watching your kings go and break God's law and follow after the nations You're watching your priests bringing idols into the temple and you're saying, Lord, revive us and have mercy upon us. But you know as a faithful person of God, the judgment's gonna fall. And then it does. The Babylonians come and cruelly run through the land and ravish its people. They come to Jerusalem and they destroy the city. They burn down the temple and then they carry the remnant off to Babylon in a faraway land. And it would have seemed like the world has ended. The center of who you are as the covenant people of God. Jerusalem's gone. The temple's gone. The implements from the temple have been destroyed, never to be found again. The world's ended. And you sit by the rivers of Babylon as the Psalms speak. And the cruel captors there say, come on, sing us one of those songs of Jerusalem for us. And yet what did God do? God sent a message through Jeremiah the prophet from Jerusalem to Babylon, and he said this in Jeremiah 29 for I know the plans you have declares the Lord plans for welfare and not evil to give you a future and a hope then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you God will hear you God is mindful of you as the people of God God was mindful of Abraham God heard Abraham God loves you as those who are in union with Christ and he hears you he knows you he's mindful of you Our faith should grow like Father Abraham's faith, for God is faithful. Verse 23. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Abraham, like you, needed to believe in one Lord, whom God raised from the dead. Abraham did believe in one Lord. Did you know that Abraham believed in Jesus? Have you ever thought about that? Abraham believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're told that from the words of Jesus himself. You may remember one of the great touch points, points of friction between Jesus and the Jewish leaders was his relationship to Abraham they were always talking about, we're the sons of Abraham. Who are you in relation to Abraham? You seem to think you're greater than Father Abraham. In John 8, in verse 53, we see the Jewish leaders confront Jesus, and he says, they say to him, are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Dimly, fuzzy, indistinct, but the basics were there. He knew that God needed to send a Messiah to set things right. He knew he was a sinner who needed to be saved by the grace of God, and he knew that God would be faithful to set things right, and Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. Our one Lord, we're told here by St. Paul, was delivered up to death for our trespasses. The Lord Jesus Christ came and died for our sins and trespasses, but that is not the crux and the center of the Christian faith. It's not the center and crux of the Christian faith. It is incomplete without the second part of this. Who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification died on the cross but rose from the dead on the 3rd day for our justification and the word there is dikaiosis it means the act of pronouncing righteous of being acquitted friends i want to remind you that the centrality of the gospel In the midst of all that, it's not simply the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, but it is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is his vindication and our vindication. He rose from the dead in flesh and is seated right now as a man at the right hand of the Father, just as he is 100% God. And when he rose from the dead, he pronounced righteousness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, you are declared right in Christ. You, the sinner, united to Christ, have taken on and been united to him. His righteousness is your righteousness, and you receive acquittal for your sins in the finished work of Christ. Can I hear an amen to that? And Abraham saw that day, this day, and he rejoiced in it. Leonardo da Vinci was a true man of vision. He saw things no one else saw long before they came into being. Da Vinci saw and sketched the airplane 400 years before they came into being. He envisaged the concept of solar power 500 years before it would come into use. And he saw the tank centuries before they showed up on the battlefield. Abraham was also a true man of vision who saw things no one else saw long before they came into being. God said he would be the father to a multitude, and he believed God. Abraham also saw through the shadowy types, the ram in the thicket, the sacrifice of an only son of promise, the sinfulness of men, and the righteousness of God. Abraham saw imperfectly and dimly, but he saw Jesus, and that's why he's the man. This morning we've seen in Romans chapter 4 that Abraham has many sons, and Abraham has one Lord. Abraham's the man, Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon us this morning. Increase our faith to trust in you, to know your promises in your word are true, and you will carry them out, and you hear your people. Bless us to be like Father Abraham, to trust you more and more, and to grow more and more into the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ through all our days.